Hey church, before we jump into God's word this morning, I want to pray. As you know, it's been a heavy week, a difficult week, a week full of prayers as we are praying for the people of Cuba. I know that hits home for so many of us, and so we want to pray. As a church together right now, we believe that prayer matters. We believe that prayer is powerful and that God is listening and that God is working right now for his people in Cuba. And so we want to pray. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us. And I want to encourage you to pray alongside of me. This is a prayer that I wrote this week. So let's pray. God, we pray the cries of the people are heard. We pray for real dialogue. We pray the agenda be about people and not politics. We pray peace and not violence. We pray freedom from oppression. We pray food for the hungry and medicine for the sick. We pray shelter for the homeless. God, we pray the people of God to be empowered with wisdom, courage, and hope in Cuba. We pray for pastors and ministry leaders to have strength. We pray unity amidst all the churches. God, what we are asking for, what we are praying for, is the supernatural. We entrust all of this into your hands. We have hope in you. We lean upon you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And church, I want to continue to encourage you. Be praying this week. Reach out and connect with people and go to the Lord in prayer because prayer matters. Amen? Well, today we begin episode seven of our summer series in the book of Romans. And the title of this sermon is Brand New. Following up last week, we looked into Romans chapter five And we saw that we sit in solidarity with Christ, so therefore we can stand in solidarity for Christ. We heard from God's word and we received the truth that by grace we have received the righteousness of Christ, that we are in Christ, which means that not only are we forgiven of all of our unrighteousness, but we are beyond the possibility of ever being declared unrighteous again. Because we are not in Adam, we are in Christ. Now, when you receive this truth, or when you hear this statement, oftentimes there is a follow-up question. And the question goes like this. Okay, so if I am in Christ, and I've been forgiven of all of my unrighteousness, and I am beyond the possibility of ever being declared unrighteous again regardless of my struggles and my sin, because I'm in Christ, why should I seek to do anything good at all? What's the motivation to try to improve? Why would I strive to be like Christ when I'm already in Christ? You see, this thought process and this question is really treating faith like car insurance with no deductible that is paid on your behalf by somebody else. Somebody else offers you 
incredible car insurance with no deductible and they're paying for it. And so you receive that and now you think to yourself, well, I can drive however I want. It doesn't matter if I get in a fender bender. It doesn't matter if I get in an accident. I have no deductible and somebody else is paying for my car insurance so I can go get it fixed. No problem. I can speed and yes, if I receive a speeding ticket, I'll face the consequences of that ticket by having to pay for the fine, but I don't have to worry about the points and increasing my insurance payment because I'm not paying for it. I could leave my car unlocked and if someone steals the car, I will get a big check from the insurance company to go get a new car. It's treating faith like that. Treating faith like it is fire insurance from hell. Well, now that I've received the grace of God, and by faith I'm in Christ, and I'm forgiven of my unrighteousness, I'm declared unrighteous, I'm declared righteous, well, now I can live however I want. I can do whatever I want. And yes, I'll face the, consequence, face the consequences for some poor choices that I make, but I'm not going to face any eternal consequences or any ultimate consequences. So why don't I just live how I want? Why don't I just do what I want? Because most of the time, I probably won't face any consequences, and it will be fun and enjoyable. See, this is the thought process. Maybe you've thought this before. Maybe you're thinking this now. If I'm in Christ, I'm forgiven of everything past, present, and future, and I'm declared righteous, <laughs> I could just live how I want then. I got the fire insurance. No eternal consequences. And if I have to face some temporal consequences, okay. But I can live how I want and what I deem enjoyable and fun. You see, the Apostle Paul knows that this question is coming. He anticipates it. It's not only a question that many ask today, but it's a question that was asked back then in the church in Rome. And so he begins Romans chapter 6 to address this exact question. So if you have your Bible at home, I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 6 verse 1 through 14, and it'll also be on the screen below so you can follow along. Let's read God's word together. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1, says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? There's the question. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by his baptism into, into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. 
death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So also, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the Apostle Paul, as I said at the very beginning, of Romans chapter 6, he anticipates that question. If I'm in Christ, if I'm forgiven, declared righteous, well, can I do whatever I want? Why would I even strive to live like Christ or for Christ? So he starts here in the very first verse, and he says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Can we just continue in sin and live however we want so that grace can abound? Because it does. By no means, he says in verse 2, how can we who died to sin still live in it? You see, the response that the Apostle Paul gives to this question, can I just sin? Grace will abound. The response is this. If you are asking that question and if you are living out that reality because that is how you understand the gospel, that you're in Christ and you're forgiven, so now you can do whatever you want because you've received fire insurance, he's saying you don't get the gospel. You haven't really received the profound transformational truth of the good news of Jesus Christ because you would not deduce this. He says, if you're asking that question, if you think about that question, the response should be, by no means. Why? Because you have died to sin. His response is, your, your, your answer to that question, can you just live however you want? should be, by no means. Why? Because I've died to sin. So what does that mean? What does it mean that you have died to sin? Because it's foundational to this passage. It's foundational to this truth of being in Christ and why you're called to live for Christ and strive for obedience because you have died to sin. You see, in the first five chapters, Romans chapter one through Romans chapter five, the Apostle Paul is talking about what was accomplished for us by Christ. And here in chapter six, there's a shift. He's now saying to us, not what, what was accomplished for us, though that is still present, but he's saying what the gospel does in us. How when we understand what Christ accomplished for us, how that changes us personally, how it dramatically and profoundly alters our lives. We are no longer the same because of the experience of 
the gospel. And so he's saying here, one of those dramatic things that happens when you come to faith in Christ and grace abounds, you're declared righteous, is that you realize you have died to sin. So again, what does that mean? That you've died to sin. Well, here's what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that sin is no longer a part of your life. That it has no influence over you. You know very clearly, and I know very clearly, that that just can't be true. Because we are continually tempted by sin. We all continually fall into sin. Each and every day. So being, having died to sin doesn't mean that sin no longer has influence in your life. It also does not mean that you are slowly moving away from sin. As if each and every passing day you're slowly leaving behind sin. He says you've died to sin, not you are dying to sin. Okay, so then he must be speaking about how we are no longer guilty of sin. We still struggle with sin. We're tempted by sin. It's a reality. So maybe what he's saying is that we're no longer guilty of it. We've died to it, so we don't face the consequences of it, which a large one is guilt. Now, that's true. Through faith in Christ, you are no longer viewed as guilty. You are forgiven. You're declared righteous. But he is not speaking about that here. Even though that is true, He's speaking and emphasizing what is happening in your life, how your life is profoundly altered, how it causes you to live different when you understand that you're in Christ and you've died to sin. Okay, so what does it mean that you've died to sin? Well, the clue is actually in the previous chapter. He gives a clue, and he's going to build upon that here in Romans chapter 6. And that comes from verse 17 of the previous chapter. Look what he says in verse 17 of chapter 5. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. You see here he is speaking about this new power that you receive. That previously, before you were in Christ, when you were in Adam, as we discussed last week, sin reigned over your life. It was the guide of your life. It was the rule of your life. It was the master of your life. You were enslaved to it. But now that you are in Christ, you reign in life. You no longer have sin reigning over you. You now reign in life because you are in Christ. A dramatic difference. A huge shift. A new power you've received. He speaks about this new power too in Acts chapter 26, verse 18. We read this. That the gospel comes to people to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. 
The gospel comes to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That when the gospel comes into your life, when you receive that abundance of grace, there is a new power in your life. No longer the power of Satan and sin and death reigning over you. No, now you reign in life and you've received the power of Christ. So, when the Apostle Paul says that you have died to sin, what he is saying is that sin is no longer the master of your life. It no longer controls your life. It does not rule your life. It is not the guide of your life. You have a new power because you are in Christ. You now reign in life. You do not reign. You do not, you do not face the reign of sin over your life. Dramatic difference. You see, years ago when we were living in Fort Lauderdale, we had a house there, and we, when we moved in, we realized that there was an issue. There was two different people that wanted to live in the house, and only one of us was allowed. And those two people were my wife and I. The other people, were not really people, were rats. There were rats in the house. That was a big problem because they're not allowed in there. So they had to be kicked out of the house. So I actually kind of created this like rat suit that I wore when I went to the attic and I had the mask and I had goggles because you know, there was a lot of stuff in the air and I got all those rats out of the house. I had traps, I figured out what they liked and I got them out. And then I crawled around the attic and I covered up all the holes with this mesh wire and we were, our house was on a crawl space so I covered up all the holes in the ground. I mean, I went around the whole house and I said, they're not coming in here anymore. They're kicked out. This is not their house. This is our house, and they need to know that. So then I even put traps outside, like those little black ones that you see outside of buildings, just so they like double protection. This is our house, not their house. But if you have lived in South Florida for any period of time, you know that at times they will come back, especially because in the backyard we had three mango trees, which is like their favorite food. And they would wreak havoc. And I would have to get that rat suit on again and I would have to get them out of the house. It wasn't an infestation, don't worry about that. Just one or two here and there. They would come back in and wreak havoc. Even though it was not their house. They were kicked out. You see, this is, as weird as an illustration as that is, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying is true of you. Previously, you lived in a house of sin. It ruled over you. That was the reality for you. It was the guide of your life. But when you receive the grace of God and you are in Christ, declared righteous, sin is kicked out. It no longer has control over you. It no longer resides in the same space. However, it will try to wreak havoc. It will try to come back time and time again, and you put up all these different defenses, and you put up all these different things to try to keep it at bay, but it will find a way in, and will come in to try and wreak havoc. And part of the great struggle of our lives is the struggle against sin. It is to realize that we, are, we have died to sin. It is no longer in control of us. We no longer have to obey it. It is not our master any longer. 
And yet even though we know that, there are times we choose to let it back in. We open up a little space for it to come crawling back in. Knowing it will wreak havoc, but we struggle with that. You see, here's the good news that you are dead to sin. This is why this is such great news. Because you are dead to sin, it can be dead to you. Because you are dead to sin, it can be dead to you. The truth is, is that it no longer reigns over you. You do not have to obey it. It is kicked out. And yes, it wants to come back in to wreak havoc. And sometimes we lit it back in. Willingly. But because it is dead to you, that can be true. If you are dead to sin, it can be dead to you. And some of you that have been struggling with a sin over and over and over again, you need to hear this. You are dead to sin. It can be dead to you. It can be dead to you. We have to flesh this out a bit. How have we died to sin? Because this is good news, that we're dead to sin, and it could be dead to us. But how do we die to sin? The Apostle Paul wants to develop that. In verse 3 through 4, he says this in Romans chapter 6. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. You see, we believe that there are two sacraments. There's communion, Lord's table, and there's baptism. The Apostle Paul here is speaking about baptism and he uses the word baptizo, which often references being drowned. So that's important to understand because he's speaking about a particular mode of baptism, the act of immersing someone under the waters. Now, he's not doing this to champion one mode over another. He's using this mode and speaking to this reality of immersing someone under the waters and pulling them back up because he's signaling to us what that act points to, namely, as we read, to the death and resurrection of Christ. You see, one of, some of my favorite days of the year at Crossbridge are the days when we go to the beach on Saturday for baptisms. We've had two of them this year, and we've seen over 25 people baptized for the first time, and we have a third one coming up in September, so if you're interested in being baptized and you have questions about that, reach out to your campus pastor. We would love to walk with you in that journey and, and baptize you. See, I love baptism days for many, many reasons. But really the main reason is because I have the honor and the privilege of administering baptism, baptizing people in the waters, immersing them in the beach, in the ocean, and pulling them forth. And 
And every time that I baptize someone, I look at them and I dunk them under the water by saying, you are buried with Christ. And then when I'm pulling them out of the water, I say, you were raised with Christ. You see, I know that prior to that moment, they were justified before God. They were made right with God. Through faith, they are in Christ. Grace abounds over their life. They are declared righteous. I know that is true before the moment they are dunked in the waters. But when I pull them out of the water, I time and time again experience the Holy Spirit in a profound way that reminds me that this person is now walking in a new life. They are living a new life. They were buried with Christ and now they reign with Christ. They are resurrected with Christ. And as the Apostle Paul says here in verse 4, when you understand that you have died to sin, that it no longer rules over you and you were buried with Christ in his death and you now are resurrected with Christ so that you can reign in life, that your life is now new. You walk in a new life. You see, this reality provides something invaluable. When you hear this, it provides something invaluable, and that is clarity. Clarity on who you are and who you are to be. Who you are is a person who was buried with Christ and rose with Christ. You are dead to sin. You are in Christ, declared righteous. You have peace with God. You are forgiven. Grace abounds over your life. This is who you are, and it is who you are to be. You are to walk in that new life. Look what he says in verse 5 through 7. For if we have been united with him, In a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You see, you are united to Christ in his death, and in his resurrection. He says that your old self was crucified. It was killed. Your old way of thinking, your old way of living, the old power that ruled over your life, that's killed. That's crucified. It's no longer you. So every time that you sin and I sin, we are acting out of accord with who we are. It's not who we are. We are united to Christ. It's not really you. When you sin, you are going against who you really are. You see, you need to see and hold on to this identity, this transformative identity. Because I believe that so many of our struggles with sin 
are due to the fact that we have identity issues. We have identity issues. Many of us think like this. Well, this is just who I am. And this is just who I will always be. I will always be somebody that's prideful. I'll always struggle with greed, self-control. I will always be full of fear. I will always battle with lust. I will always be overly critical. It's just who I am. I will always be lazy. I will always be quick-tempered. I'll always be harsh. We think like this all the time. It's just who I am. I've always been like this. It's who I will always be. No, you are not. You are none of those things. It is not who you are, and it is not who you will always be. That is to deny the power of the gospel, the power of Christ in your life. You were buried with Christ, and you rose with him. You are dead to sin. It no longer rules over you. It's kicked out of the house. Yes, it comes creeping back in to wreak havoc, but it does not have to. It does not rule your life. You have a new life, a new power, a new identity. It is not who you are. I hope you hear that. It's not who you are. Who you really are is in Christ, united to him, walking in a new life. I want you to hear this. You really love God. You do. You really love God, and you really want to walk in his ways, trust and follow his truth, and live the life that he has set for you. That is who you really are. You may not always live like that. You may struggle with different things in your life. But it's not who you are. You're united to Christ. You are dead to sin and you live with him now. You live in a different house. Apostle Paul continues, verse 8 through 11, he says this, to continue to drive home this beautiful truth. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, and alive to God in Christ. If you have your Bible at home, underline that last verse. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. He's repeating time and time again that you are united to Christ. That you're dead to sin, you were buried with him, but you are alive to God. You are resurrected with him too. You now live with him. You see, this is your right. This is your privilege. Through faith in Christ, as grace abounds in your life, you are dead to sin and you're alive to God. This is your right. But he says here 
that you must know that. You have to consider that. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. You know, one of the things I loved in college was the cafeteria. The all-you-can-eat buffet each and every day. You could go and you could have pancakes and a chicken sandwich and french fries and ice cream and a salad bar and a shrimp cocktail. You could eat all that in one sitting if you wanted. Sometimes I did. I loved the cafeteria in college. But there was a, a privilege that not everybody knew about. You only got to experience it if you asked for it. And that is, there was a pack and go option. Meaning, you could ask to take some food with you out of the cafeteria so you don't have to buy lunch or dinner. And I did this all the time. So I would go have breakfast or I would have an early lunch and then I would ask Miss Mary to make me some sandwiches and I would take them for the day. But very few people knew about that privilege that you could ask for food to be packed up and you could take it with you. Save a lot of money. You see, through faith, as grace abounds in your life, what is true of you, officially true of you, is that you are dead to sin. It no longer rules over you. It is no longer your master. But to experience the privilege of being alive to God, you must consider that. You can miss the privilege. It can be officially true of you. You are dead to sin and alive to God, but you can miss the privilege, the experience that is afforded you by the good news of Jesus Christ. It must be lived out to be enjoyed. You have to consider yourself this way. You know, last month we celebrated Juneteenth. And Juneteenth is the celebration of freedom, the declaration of freedom that was brought to all of those that were enslaved in Texas. Celebrated because on June 19th, 1865, the Union troops finally made it to Galveston, Texas. And they declared that everybody enslaved was now free. Now, that was true of all of those people two years prior. But they didn't know it until they heard it and considered it. And after they heard it and they considered it, there was another action to take, which was to pack up your bags and leave that place that you have resided your whole life and go walk into a new life of freedom. See, this is what the gospel should be like in your life. You hear that declaration of freedom that you are forgiven, you are declared righteous, you are in Christ, you are dead to sin, it no longer reigns over you, and now because you are buried with Christ and you rose with Christ, you can live alive to God. You have to consider this and then you have to pack your bags and move on to your new life because that privilege is afforded to you. 
to move on to your new life. So you can easily answer that question that the Apostle Paul says at the very beginning of this chapter. What shall then we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And your answer is, by no means. I'm dead to sin. I'm walking in a new life. I'm dead to sin and it's dead to me. I live different now. I live different now because it no longer is my master. I'm free. I am in Christ. See, as we navigate this world, and as we navigate our lives, and all of those temptations that are seeking to wreak havoc, that we feel the attraction to and the pull to because sin is around every corner, and it wants to bring destruction into our lives. It's like sirens calling out upon the rocks. The, so- the song sounds good, and so we start heading that way until we realize that our ship has just run upon the rocks and we are now sinking. You see, when you hear this truth that you are dead to sin and alive to God, you know that you do not have to listen to that song anymore. You can avoid it because you know what the peril that lies in that direction. It no longer has mastery over you. You're free to live alive to God. So with all of this in mind, the Apostle Paul closes in verse 12 through 14, and he says this to us. It's our charge. Let sin, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Let me say that again. What we read there in verse 14. You are not under law, you're under grace. You are not under the law, you are under grace. Even at home, you can give an amen there. You are not under the law, you are under grace. Sometimes we forget this, that we are not under the law, we are under grace. And we forget it in our daily lives, how we live. We think that the battle against sin is really about saying, don't. Don't do this. Don't do that. That's how we live in this new life. We just are looking for ways to say, don't do this and don't do that. Now, we see this in many ways, but one way that I I think is kind of famous inside and outside the church is with the restriction that some Christian communities place on people in regards to alcohol. Don't drink alcohol. And the justification is that you should not drink alcohol because it leads to drunkenness. Now, there are plenty of great reasons to not drink alcohol. You don't like it. You know yourself and you have an addictive personality. You're fearful that you may not be able to be self-controlled. There's family trauma associated with alcoholism. 
health reasons, or maybe just because you don't want to. Great reasons. Listen, in your Christian freedom, you can choose to say, no, I don't want to do that. But it should be because of your Christian freedom. Because you're not under the law, you're under grace. It should not be because somebody placed extra non-biblical laws upon you as a precaution for something that you may not even struggle with, which is drunkenness. You see, we are not under the law. We are under grace. We don't live by placing all of these extra non-biblical precautions on us for things that we don't struggle with. Yes, there are times where we need to say no to things and we need to say don't do this and don't do that because we know that there's gonna be a temptation for us to sin because we've been down that road and so we're not gonna listen to that siren song. We're gonna go the other direction. There are times where you at night when you're alone need to say no, don't do that. There are times at work where you need to say no, don't do that. There are times where you're entering into a hard conversation that you need to say, no, don't say that. There are times where you're invited to go somewhere that you know is not wise and you need to say, no, don't go there. Yes, we say no. Yes, we say don't. But we need to understand that we are not under the law, we are under grace. Meaning, we do not live our lives responsively. We live our lives proactively. We are walking in a new life, and so we are focused on and thinking about saying, what must we do? How am I to live? What must I do? Not what do I just need to keep saying no to. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. I am free to say, how do I live this new life? What must I do? And the Apostle Paul tells us. He says this. Do, verse 13, Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You reign in life. Grace abounds. You're united to Christ. You're declared righteous. You are dead to sin. How do you live? What do you do? You do give God your attention and your worship and your heart and your mind and your strength. You present yourself to God, all of you, all that you have, all that you are, you present it to God. But then he also says, and you do present the members of your body as instruments. You do recognize that you are an instrument of God. And so everything that you have in your life and the way that you navigate your life, you also present to God. So you do evaluate and consider how you use your time and what you prioritize. You do evaluate and consider how you use your talents. And is it mostly for yourself or is it also for other people and for the glory of God and his kingdom? You do evaluate and consider how you allocate your treasure because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, what you do is you present yourself to God, all of you, including your life because your life is an instrument, not for unrighteousness, but for righteousness because that is the new life that you are living. 
You see, we do fight sin proactively because we're dead to sin. And we do strive to be obedient to the ways, the truth, and the life of Christ because we are united to him and we have a new life. You see, church, we, the church, we present ourselves to God. How could we not? As the Apostle Paul says here, we have been brought from death to life in Christ. You have been brought from death to life in Christ. How could you not walk in that new life, proactively fighting sin that is dead to you, that no longer rules over you, and giving all that you are to God? How could you not with that great news? I pray that you walk in that new life this week. Would you pray with me? God, every week that we read your word, every day that we read your word, we are amazed by your grace. Unmerited favor to us. God, thank you. Thank you that we have peace with you. Through the death and resurrection of Christ, we are buried with you, Christ. We have risen with you. We now live and reign in life free. Thank you, God, that we are dead to sin. It no longer is our master. It no longer rules over us. We can live alive to God, which is our right and our privilege. God, give us that vision. Help us to understand that that is our identity. We are not our sin. We are forgiven and made righteous. We are in you, Christ. Who we are is so different than how we see ourselves. It's how you see us. May we walk in that life, presenting ourselves, all of ourselves, to you. How could we not? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.